0: Welcome to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is candidate for city council in Springfield, Oregon, Ward 3, Johannes Tadeo. Did I say that correctly?
1: Yes, uh, Johannes Tadeo. Hello, everybody.
0: So, Johannes, welcome to the show. Uh, This has been something, a little backstory and transparency. Uh, we have been trying to do this episode now for about two weeks, three weeks, and we had it slated to go. And then you what was it? What was it that happened? You had a baseball injury?
1: Yeah. So I uh, basically had a Sandlot uh, moment where uh, I was learning to catch a baseball and uh, it hit my face. And I fortunately got a black eye. But um, but we're back. It's gone. And um, maybe baseball's not my sport.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that I mean, and and I totally was understanding and and you know so i'm glad that we're doing this now and then even before that you had a crazy situation where you fell off of a roof yeah i felt like like these were like next your dog was gonna eat your homework no i'm i'm kidding tell us about that and and i'm so glad that you're doing okay but tell us what happened
1: yeah so uh during the fires um as you know uh it was really hazardous outside for folks and um in one of the trailer parks there was one family that the roof collapsed um it was just time to repair it unfortunately I didn't have time um, before the fire because it just happened randomly. Um, so a couple of my friends and I uh, went on the roof started getting some kind of like sheet metals temp something temporary to be able to put it up there. Uh, one person ended up pulling it I lost my footing and um, and I fell and I fell in a chair where um, oh. I ended up being out for. For a couple, <laughs> um, but um, but I'm lucky to be back. So yeah, uh,
0: yeah, and I'm glad you're doing this. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we finally found the time to make this happen. I thought that those were some big whoppers of excuses. No, I'm just kidding. No, I don't, no, no. It's, it's been uh, a rough couple of weeks, and so I'm glad that you're doing better. So, if anybody's unaware of Johannes, uh, you know, you're known locally for your tireless work for the advocate or as an advocate for the marginalized and the less fortunate. Tell me a little bit about what has inspired you to just be constantly out there on the front lines working for marginalized people in Lane County?
1: Yeah, so um, advocacy has been something that um, I've been about almost my entire life because of my family and the way that they always give to folks. And as well as uh, we were uh, we were low income as well, uh, we needed support. And luckily there was a lot of folks out there and some organizations uh, that ended up coming up and helping my family like Centro Latino and a couple other ones. Um, and I kind of just, I don't know, like from elementary to middle school to high school, um, I always felt um, compelled to give, you know, and help out wherever I can, you know. Um, something that my parents raised me uh, is to, you know, to to always give because we'll, re- we'll get it in a different way, you know, or if they pass it on to somebody else, then that's even better, you know, we, we have a community that that we can rely on and trust. And that's kind of like what's been happening since COVID is that, uh, a lot of families have been coming together and, and talking to each other. Um, and that's something that for myself, um, same uh, with the experiences that have happened to me as a kid, I, I wanted to make sure that nobody had to go through some of those experiences that my family and myself uh, had to go through. Uh, I wanna be able to change that and shift a culture. And a lot of the thing is uh, the information that goes out to families. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I, I'm helping provide that information. I'm helping to pass the voices that unfortunately aren't normally heard. Um, and I've been doing that since a uh, really young age. Um, and I don't know, it's just something that I guess just got passed by me, by my brothers and my parents. Um, always seeing um, them give, uh, even if we don't have anything. But, you know, if people need food. Let's put more water on the beans and give it more, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, so- so, yeah.
0: So, growing up in, in Springfield, you've lived in Springfield. This is pretty rare for people that are either on city council or running for city council. So, I think this gives you some bonus points that you have lived in Springfield since you were three years old. That is correct?
1: Yeah, uh, two years old. So, two years I was born old. in 93. I came here in 95.
0: Yeah. So, you've been here your entire life. Uh, and, you know, I want to... <laughs> show my appreciation for you coming on and talking about some of the issues for the Latinx community specifically but I mean these these the work that you do is for everybody you know for for the less fortunate I know that a lot of times what you do uh, you've been working with Chris McAllister at the homeless shelter the Mm -hmm. houseless shelter and we'll get to that in a little bit but I, I would imagine your experience in Springfield has been much different than mine. I've lived in Springfield as well since I was 11. So around the same time, I think that we've actually uh, moved to the area. So we've seen it, we've seen it change, uh, but we're gonna get to that, um, you know, some of the houselessness stuff in a bit, uh, but we're gonna kind of go through some of the bullet points on your website. Uh, one of the things that you had said is inspiring civic participation in unity and a goal to bring the Latinx community to the table in the political process so that all voices are heard. Could you kind of, you know, expel on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, not just the Latinx community, like you said, you know, um, as a counselor and as a candidate and as a community organizer, I serve everybody in Springfield. Um, And I want to make sure that everybody's voice is at the table. So one of the issues that I've seen throughout uh, the last couple of years with the city chambers is that it was empty. Um, You know, a lot of folks didn't know what was getting passed and how was it affecting certain communities. So I want to be able to just like kind of like with this campaign, uh, I didn't really know how it was going to go, but uh, seeing folks and families come out of the shadows to whether one registered to vote, uh, feel comfortable enough to ask some of these questions that they've never asked before. And that's kind of what I want to be able to challenge Springfield and make sure that we're meeting these communities where they're at to make sure that all voices are coming to the table when we're at the chambers. Um, And that's something that I feel like, you know, it doesn't take away uh, any space from anybody else. I feel like it adds to it. You Absolutely. know I said a comment before about uh Springfield becoming a salad, you know, and we need to be able to look at each in this, uh each each piece and what flavor they bring to the table and the more flavors that we have on there the more we could be able to actually meet a lot of the needs that we have in Springfield because sometimes we're more focused in the areas where some of the most privileged folks uh you know they come from this bubble uh and unfortunately don't see left or right and what Where are the other communities being impacted and how can we help and support them where it helps and supports us all? So I want to make sure that uh, by pushing civic participation, um, everybody is able to bring their voice to the table. They know how to access the city. They know how to, um, you know, request uh, support or help, especially during this pandemic. Um, It was really sad and unfortunate to see families struggle uh, to apply for rent relief. Uh, to how to be, how to contact the city to talk about a complaint or, you know, the fire hit, you know, my house is going to get hit. Who do I contact? Who, who are the organizations that are currently supporting and giving that relief fund? Um, So I feel like if everybody's at the table, we can be able to push forward through a lot of these issues that unfortunately we don't talk about or we classify them as touchy subjects. Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. And that's, that's definitely true. I know that for me I'm I'll be full full disclosure and honest about this for me this is difficult because I I don't there's a lot of ignorance for me when it comes to the experience of the Latinx community I have friends in every demographic you know I absolutely but that being said I still don't know what it's like and to to have to deal with different things so that's why I do this that's why I wanted to bring you on to hear your perspective and then also when you talk about bringing people to the table the latinx community has been a a very prevalent part of springfield for a very long time you know you know and it's it's i mean it's good to see businesses uh popping up and restaurants and marketplaces and all kinds of stuff that are you know uh owned by latinx owners and that's really good we're going to talk about about that a little bit more in a bit about you know uh the underrepresentation of marginalized uh people in the economy in the local economy but the population is definitely there so I think it's really vital for uh, civic participation, like you were saying, to get people to come to, get to the table and to vote and to use their voices. And I think what people are going to find out, this isn't a left-right issue. You know, city council is a nonpartisan seat. So you're supposed to, like you said, represent everybody. But the Latinx community is not left or right. There's, it's not binary. You know, everyone has a different viewpoint, I'm sure. And there's a lot of religious beliefs, a lot of people with strong faith that might kind of fall t- towards some of the things that are right. And then you know other things on the left. So that's that's a very interesting thing that we'll see over as time goes on, and more and more representation is heard from that. There's a broad swath of different viewpoints, you know. So uh, let's go through some of the things uh, from from your website. Affordable housing. Now again, tell me a little bit about the shelter and what the work you've been doing with that.
1: Yeah, so the shelter is amazing. It's an emergency shelter that Carry It Forward uh, initiated is currently running. Um, they've also something inexperienced that, you know, I also worked at the Egan Warming Center, uh, the emergency shelter that they had at the Memorial Building. That was my first uh, experience seeing um, unhoused folks working uh, and supporting the unhoused as well. You know, it's like a rehabilitation program, basically. Uh, You give somebody, uh, you know, a place to stay, a place to shower, a place to feel human. And then how can we be able to set some goals that these folks to be able to reach to eventually be able to come back into full-on society and and you know get housing. So that's amazing. I feel like that's a program that we need here in Springfield. Uh, it's on currently on Garden Way, um, and the residents are amazing. The community that they build there is like a family. Uh, you know, they cook at the same time, they clean. Uh, like I said, they give job opportunities to folks who are unhoused. Um, it, it's a safe space. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, in Springfield we need, you know, uh, I know we have a temporary, uh, we had a temporary shelter with Egan Warming Center, but it wasn't a, a permanent site. Um, and that's something that we need to be able to see in Springfield and speak with our residents, where would be appropriate area? Because these are, these are our Springfield residents. They should be able to get all the same support any other person in Springfield uh, that is able to get access to, uh, they should. Um, We should be able to work on programs that get a lot of these folks back into housing and and feel human again, you know, Um, so that's what Carry It Forward does, uh, they give a lot of the unhoused folks projects, Um, I am employed uh, thanks to Chris McAllister, And it has been a really great experience. I've learned about Conestogas, you know, about temporary housing outside in uh, residential areas. I learned about accessory dwelling units, you know, where you can create a secondary housing in the backyard. Uh, You know, like this is the information that I feel like going back to civic participation, this is the information we need to give out to folks and families. That way we can be able to help and work towards solving this issue.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things that I've just learned so much by doing this show because I've had... Uh, interviews with people like Chris. Chris McAllister's been a guest and I guarantee he'll be on again multiple times. Uh, Thomas Fiorelli came on talking about affordable housing so if anybody's interested they can go back and and listen to that. He was talking about accessory dwellings and you know gets a little wonky because he gets into the legal stuff of it and it gets kind of in the weeds but I mean It's not too hard for us to understand, like you're saying, we want to inspire civic participation, which means that us as voters, we have a little bit of a responsibility to kind of educate ourselves. You know, we have to do the legwork ourselves as well. So that's really crucial. But yeah. I, I know what you mean when you start to kind of get more and more involved it like, it's like peeling back different parts of the onion, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, there's so much more that I have to learn. And like, it just, it's like you get imposter syndrome every second of it because you learn more and you're like, Oh, I have so much more to learn. I don't know if I belong here, you know, and you just got to keep push, pushing along yeah. now infrastructure. Go ahead. Did you have something you want to touch on?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's something that, um, that I'm glad that you brought up about like uh, that is difficult sometimes. You know, going into some of these spaces, especially how new um, I am to some of these things. Uh, Like, for instance, like the subcommittee, knowing that we have access where we could be able to tell folks, hey, we don't want our water to go up. But then again, um, a space where we can be able to understand why it's going up. And I feel a lot of the time it it is difficult to go into these new spaces because you're like, am I going to be heard? What's going to be the outcome? Um, Should I even speak? Um, So and that's kind of like the thing that I want to be able to change and shift. And I was luckily to be able to do it with some of the citywide youth, um, and have kids be able to go up there and speak their truth and advocate for themselves. So that was, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really important. I mean, sometimes people just go up there frustrated, so they come across as angry, you know, which is understandable in certain settings. And I know that people don't. They're like, I don't want to just go and scream my head off, but sometimes that's what needs to be done. <laughs> you know, sometimes you do just have to vocalize how much pain you've you've had to face. We're gonna see it with this aftermath of these fires. People are being devastated by this, you know, so infrastructure. So we're going to talk about that uh, infrastructure and why it's so important to Springfield. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so we need to be able to make sure, again, speaking to our residents and make sure that, you know, that we have safe roads. A lot of the time, I think something that happened in the 60 some area, there was a, a young lady that ended up getting hit by a car uh, due to the fact that we didn't have uh, crosswalks. You yeah. know, and that's where we really need to make sure that, again, that everybody's at the table and that we're reaching out to folks because we want to know where are the streets that are at risk. Where are the ones that are currently, you know, where kids, including my nephew, you know, I think there was a situation we had two years ago on 21st Street um, right across Maple. Um, there wasn't a, a crosswalk uh, that had lights or anything like that. And a lot of folks kind of like zoom in and uh, my nephew almost got hit. Um, so we got to make sure that we're speaking to families and making sure that you know it's it's that they're not scared. We got to make sure that we got LTD bus stops in the areas where families who uh, don't drive um, and don't have access to 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 a vehicle um, that it's accessible for them. That it's outside their home where they don't have to walk five miles just to take their kids to school or or five miles to go to work and show up late and have to you know wake up at four o'clock in the morning or whatever time just to get there on time. So. Um, so, yeah, so making sure that we have the uh, bus routes, that we have places and roads that, that feel safe, uh, that we have bike routes. I think that's one huge thing that, you know, Springfield needs is yes. uh, to be able to create a space where folks to be able to ride their bicycles and feel safe. You know, kids be able to feel safe. I, I don't think I have. Yeah, I don't think on the other side of Springfield where I currently live, I don't think I ever rode a bicycle in this area, um, normally more in the Gateway area. Uh, because of the back roads that there used to right. be there uh, where the train station is now, which well, where it used to be, which is now, uh, I think, uh, Pioneer Parkway, MLK. Um.
0: And that setup is really good. And it's made a huge difference. I know that, like like I said, I moved here about 93. And when they put in Pioneer Parkway, I used to skateboard. But, man, I could really I could feel safe, you know, mashing down that that path. And it made a huge difference for sure. I live uh you know off of 51st and there's there's the the you're so on point when it comes to the issue with people getting hit by cars because they did put in those crosswalks those lit ones which i'm still not a huge fan of the execution because when you hit the button the person that's the pedestrian you hit the button and it doesn't automatically let you go you can't see anything that says go so they're i don't know we could be here for days (laughs) talking about that but i do think it's good that they're addressing it because the lighting and and everything out in, in Main Street heading out towards Thurston is, is bad and people are going really fast. I know they're talking about lowering the speed limit, but yeah, there's a lot that could be done. And then, you know, bus routes or bike routes in, is huge because during COVID, what I, my personal experience with that is we've got bikes and even to get to like Clearwater Park, we have to go through a lot of residential areas where there's no real sidewalk, you know, in some, in some areas. And so it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, so the next one is, uh, to expand the economy and, you know, a lot of the focus on your website is how you want to kind of bring people to the table in the business community as well from the underrepresented and marginalized communities. So how would you like to see the economy in Springfield expanded?
1: Uh, well, one of the, the first things is, uh, we need to see and focus on what are the businesses that we have right now. And have we made contact with these folks and how were we able to offer our support? Is that uh, business part of the chamber and why isn't it? Why aren't we uh, looking at you know some of the places where we need to grow in that area that way folks can actually feel connected because uh, right now there's been a huge disconnect. Um, but how I will be able to um, to uh, bring more businesses here is to one showcase uh, and make it excited for folks to be able to come into Springfield. I know there's a couple of different um, things that Springfield wants to be able to do to revitalize the downtown area. Um, I think the Memorial building was one of the places where they wanted to be able to, you know, have kind of where the restaurants or something like that to be able to come in. But I think the owner pulled out. but I want to make sure that we're uh, that we're promoting some of these other businesses. That way, some of our hidden gems that we have here, hidden gems as in people that we have here that bring culture, that bring identity, that bring their own flavor, um, get them excited to be able to create their own businesses here and maybe attract other folks from other areas to, um, to promote their business.
0: One of the things that I hear a lot, and I want to get your take on it, I asked your opponent, Corey Rodley. Uh, I don't know about opponent it's the other person running in this campaign you know you guys have a pretty good relationship friendly relationship but uh one of the things I asked is how do you think that houselessness and and whatnot affects business you know with people because I know taxation that's that's a that's a mindset that people have it's like oh if we keep helping people it's hard to run a business, you know? And then also minimum wage. I mean, I, I, I almost don't even have to ask if you support a $15 minimum wage, I know the answer. You do, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
0: do. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and so did she. But what do you, I mean, what do you kinda, I don't know where my question is in that, but like, what's your take on that? When you hear people say that, like, you know, it's killing businesses to have, you know, I mean, the main issue I addressed with her was like maybe camping in front of businesses, which in Springfield has been banned. Yeah. So I'd just like to hear you speak on that a little bit.
1: Yeah. In Springfield, I haven't really seen so many folks camping outside of businesses. Um, and I think a lot of the foot traffic and a lot of the uh, uh, residents that come up there and move, I think that's what keeps a lot of the homeless out. But um, in order to be able to make sure that we can live with UnHoused, we got to make sure that we're partnering up with agencies and organizations that work with UnHoused and know how to be able to work with that community and be able to bridge the gap. That way we know how to be able to work with that community. Same with the Latinx community and some of the other underrepresented communities, but specifically for the unhoused. Um, I feel like the folks who have volunteered for the Egan Warming Center, one, they felt like, I feel like they've uh, built kind of a community where they support their own. Yes, there has been issues about, you know, having unhoused folks in front of more about residential areas and actual businesses. Um, But again, we need to make sure that we find a place for the unhoused to be able to like a day center for folks can be able to go there, feel safe. They're not being harassed by the police. They're not getting um, in the way of, you know, folks' homes or businesses like uh, uh, like what you were saying, you know. If, yeah.
0: Um, I mean, so it, I wanna, to exactly. a lot of people, it becomes like an eyesore, you know, and this is where I appreciate what you have to say about it, because what you're saying is you're like, let's actually have a solution instead of just like push it under the rug, you know, like with a day center, something like that. You know, because you want to make sure that people are treated humanely. It's like, what are you going to do? Like, where are you going to go? Now, the camping ban. I mean, like you said, there hasn't been as much of an issue, maybe like Main Street. We could talk about like downtown Main Street. There's not as much of an issue with people camping in that community. And I've even seen it, at Willamah Lane. Now that's private, you know, so that's private property that that's a little bit of a different issue. But do you support the camping ban? Or I mean, I mean, obviously there's parts of it that probably need to be looked at. What is your take on it?
1: I, I think you're right. There's parts of it that need to be looked at. But I do believe that there should be a camp uh, for uh, uh, unhoused folks. Like I said, uh, the way that I carry it forward uh, has been running their camps and even their emergency shelter that we cur- that I currently work at, you know, it's, it's a place where folks can again feel like a family, feel safe, feel like they're not being rejected, uh, like they're not human. You know, th- there's a space where they actually feel human, where they feel like they have the support to be able to uh, get the right treatment that they need and start making steps to better their lives. You know, and so I do believe that we we do need to be able to find a camp in uh, a site that. Um, that is appropriate where nobody feels affected. Of course, there's always going to be issues and things like that, but those are something that we need to be able to work work with, you know, and and again, have those conversations because including right now with the fires that happened, how many folks ended up becoming unhoused? And how many of those families that, let's say they don't get the support or don't know how to navigate the system, you know, when they become unhoused for a lot more than a year, you know, because including some of our unhoused folks here, some of them aren't homeless because they want to be homeless. Some of them sure. were pushed out.
0: There's a wide range too in the Blue River community and beyond. There's a wide range of of economic situations. You know, there's there's people that are going to be able to bounce back. That that the it's going to be a struggle, but they're going to make make it through and then there's people that were there's a lot of trailer parks that were burnt down. You know, you know, and and so when people that's not only do they lose everything they lost they lost their community as well because those communities, like you're talking about some of the shelter stuff, some of these communities where people may not have a lot, they've got more than what anyone else can fathom because they have each other, Yeah, you know? So they build their relationships and friendships. And and some of that is what's forgotten. It's not all monetary, but anyway, so COVID uh, was one of the things on your website, which I was impressed with because for me, I've looked at a lot of people's, uh, campaign websites and whatnot that are running locally i'm not going to use names but uh they didn't mention covid and it's like this is a huge thing there's three things i wanted to kind of touch on housing the school district and food assistance but you've done things like you've actually put you know it's not just lip service you've actually done things can you tell me about what you've done during times of covid we can start with housing
1: yeah, so with housing, one of the things that we were hearing a lot from families, and this isn't just Latinx families, this is a lot of the families that were uh, that are here in Springfield um, that were getting pushed out. Um, some of it, yes, it was for language barriers. Some of it, uh, a lot of the landlords or property managers uh, just wanted to push people out. And it was an easy way because you could use scare tactics like we're gonna call the sheriff. And especially with communities not getting information, um, they allowed it to happen and turn in their keys. Um, So once we started hearing um, those things going on, we ended up working with the county. Um, uh, Joe Bernie ended up helping a lot um, and calling a lot of these uh, property managements and as well as working with legal aid and Catholic Community Services to be able to create um, an account uh, where we could be able to give uh, rent relief to families and underrepresented folks. Um, So yeah, so what we ended up doing is making sure that we were tracking some of the properties uh, that we're uh, vacating uh, some of these families out or uh, illegally pushing them out and making sure that, you know, they don't turn in their keys. Uh, we put a lot of information out in Facebook uh, in English and Spanish and flyers. We took to different apartment complexes to make sure everybody had the tools that they need to make sure that they're not being threatened or um, or that any of the property owners are using any fear tactics to get them out. Um, So, so yeah, so it was amazing. And within that process, uh, we ended up fixing a a problem that normally happens a lot when we're not in a pandemic, you know, when a lot of tenants don't know their rights, yeah you know, so that's important. And then as moving on to the school district, uh, we were hearing a lot of families also not being able to connect, um, you know, like with distance learning, um, that it was difficult, we didn't have a computer, uh, there's no Wi Fi in those areas. And the district, uh, luckily, uh, we were able to be able to, I think we've been meeting once every month to be able to discuss about some of the issues that are going on in some of these underrepresented marginalized areas. Um, And and like I said, one of the things that came out was food. Um, There was students that were getting rejected uh, because they didn't have a parent. So we called the district right away and solved that issue, You know, because
0: especially during the pandemic, which we're currently still in, Kids still need to be able to have access to food, whether they were a parent or not. It's just common. They need to. So eat. when they went when they went down to the school, because so just so if somebody's unfamiliar, they don't know during uh, the shutdown and whatnot. Um, if kids needed to get lunch, they could still go to the school and get lunch, right? Yeah, if, that's
1: correct, and uh, and, then and is, lane.
0: right. That? If, if they didn't have a parent with them, then they would be refused, basically. Yeah,
1: one school. Uh, fortunately, uh, a volunteer didn't get some of the information. Uh, correctly and they were giving misinformation to folks and rejecting some of our, our folks that needed the most help. Um, so once we started hearing a lot of more of these stories, uh, we decided to partner up with the school district to make sure that we have these conversations of uh, you know where we need to be able to plug up some of these holes um, because it's important one if your student can't eat, second if your student can't even connect to his teacher and do the work, Um, then what do we need to be able to do as a school district? You know, um, as a school district, what do we need to be able to do to go out and reach uh, out to these families? And how how do we reach out to these families? Well, you know, we have educational assistants who are bilingual. We have educational assistants who right now, we don't know how they're being utilized. We should be using them because they're connected to the families. Um, so throughout conversations with the school district, we were able to find solutions uh, to make sure that every kid uh, was on a Zoom or uh, whatever program they were using, um, that every student had a Wi-Fi. But fortunately, again, we had complications. There was some buses. Um, they provided buses with hotspots inside. That way, families could be able to access the Internet. But unfortunately, some of the students couldn't access the Internet. They had to walk outside and, you know, they could. Set up their own table and things like that. But if you don't have a parent at home, how are you going to allow your child Uh, to go out there?
0: Yeah, that that whole concept. I know that it's something, but the whole thing—if anybody hasn't heard of this—that they the school district set up hotspots. You know, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, it it would be more cost effective just to get get each person Wi-Fi. I mean, the fact that that there's people, we need Wi-Fi to be a pub is like just free for everybody at least. But that's probably beyond the duties of city council, but, you know, but, uh, but yeah, but, uh, one more thing, Uh, the school district has done a better job about this during
1: the second time around. Um, they did ask for hotspots in advance. Um, so we, they were able to at least bridge that gap. I'm not saying that all Springfield folks aren't having trouble with it, but it's a lot better than how it was before.
0: Right. So all of these kind of bullet points of your website are on your, or, are of your campaign or on your website and we'll talk about this again at the end but uh if you're interested and you're listening to this you can go to elect and i'm going to have the link in the show notes to your website and i really really encourage everybody listening and watching this to check out your website because it's really good and really thorough there's a few things i want to touch on about some of your accomplishments some of the work that you've done before we get out of here uh one of them is I wasn't aware of this until I read this on your website and you can tell us a little more about it is that you helped work towards getting ice expelled with the, after an eight year contract they had with the Springfield jail. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So um, some of the students that we were working with, with the citywide Metro students um, they started hearing about that there was a contract with SPD. Um, so Safer and I, we did a little bit of research and, uh, we wanted to know what that looked like so the first thing that we did was meet with um, the city manager and ask some questions about uh, why do we even have this how much does the city make um, who benefits from this as a matter of fact uh, you're creating more fear for uh, communities here in springfield um, we should end this contract and um, they didn't really uh, talk to us a whole lot about it uh, i think we spent like almost a year talking about it until, you know what, we just decided to go to the city council um, and let the public know. Um, so first it started with three three folks. I think it was myself, Alex Aguilar, and my nephew. Um, and then after, little by little it started to grow. Um, we started seeing doctors, nurses, lawyers, uh, business owners, um, you know, as we came into the chambers each time you know, and it was amazing because we're like, oh, wow, you know, it, this isn't just Johannes and whoever else and the community that's scared. This is the whole community of Springfield who is does not want this for in their city. They do not want people to be scared. Yeah. Um, so every week we went and testified. It continued to grow and grow to the point that I think we packed the room, uh, I think almost like 300, 400 people. And there was folks outside um, and we're hearing from the city council. We're going with the mindset that we lost. That we're gonna have to come back in the fall because the city council was gonna go to recess uh, for the summer. Um, So we already had Plan B. We had a rally planned. We had another protest. We had so many different things planned to make sure that the momentum does not die. And then the city councilor out of nowhere, Sean Van Gordon, um, you know, he put his hands up and was like, "Hey, you know, uh, if the community doesn't want it, then let's get rid of it." And having uh previous conversations with him, he wasn't on board. He wanted to amend the contract. Oh, wow. And there were several other city councilors on there who were against it too. Even some of our allies, you know? So at that point we're like, okay, we don't know what to do You're hearing from your constituents from all different wards from, you know, ward one, all the way to the last ward, you know? Um, so yeah. And then once we heard that everybody went and just, uh, I think we showed the power of the community, the power of the individual, the power of the resident. You know, because after that, now seeing the city council on, I know we're doing it through distance learning, but we see more voices during public testimony, you know, pushing different things, more folks getting involved. Um, So it was a really amazing thing that we did collectively with the ICE contract that helped start this thing where folks want to be informed. Folks want to know how things work.
0: That's the epitome of a grassroots thing right there, what you did. Three people. You know, three people you you know that's really incredible. Uh, Sean van Gordon is who actually set this this interview up. He messaged me and was like, you gotta talk to Johannes and and so you know, that's really cool to hear that. i'm I'm excited to learn more. These are names that I wasn't aware of and that are starting to get on my radar, but the accessibility of city council is something that I'm inspired by, you know, in Springfield, and I'm sure uh, that if you are elected, And that you will be somebody that is is available for people, you know, and that's really important. Uh, We only have a couple more I want to touch on Uh, college tuition equity. You know, this is a big one uh, for the Latinx community. Uh, Tell me a little bit about how that works. So so basically, so Oregonians pay in-state tuition regardless of status. So tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So there was a time where, unfortunately, uh, folks who weren't um, citizens, even though they've been residents for, since maybe they came here when they were two or three years old, kind of like I did from Washington. Um, and then, unfortunately, they would have to pay three or four times the rate that a uh, normal resident in Springfield would pay for. Because if somebody comes out of state um, and they come to Oregon for one year, they become uh, they're able to pay in-state tuition. But it didn't matter for the, a lot of these uh, folks who didn't have status um, to even though they lived here forever, they're still paying three times the rate.
0: So when you say not not to interrupt, but when you say not having status, you mean people that are undocumented, uh, dreamers, right? Correct? dreamer, yeah, dreamers, dreamers Kind of a mirror thing.
1: Um, so we took a state initiative with uh, the OSA, the Oregon Student Association, as long as with the Oregon Students of Color Coalition, OSAC. Um, and folks got around from all over the state, from different colleges, Uh, different high schools as well, uh, because it was unfair for some of these dreamers who have contributed in the community and did really well in schools to not have the same opportunity to be able to pay in-state tuition.
0: Um,
1: So luckily tuition equity has been evolved. I think we're at 4.0 and uh, folks watching, they can check me if I'm wrong, but I know tuition equity 2.0 ended up allowing um, more folks to be able to apply for like scholarships and things like that. And then 2.3 opened up another uh, barrier that a lot of the daquistas and undocumented folks uh, had to go through. You know, even for myself, uh, speaking from a privileged uh, position, you know, a lot of the time I, I didn't realize, you know, there's other folks who who don't have the same access that I do. Even though I'm a person of color and come from a low-income community, you know, I still have certain privileges. And as a city councilor candidate, that's something that I got to make sure when I'm speaking to families and making decisions or helping. Um, because I know a lot of the families, if I choose to help in some type of way without speaking to them, what if that issue that I help solve isn't actually solving an issue that they have.
0: Right. So another one, uh, equal access to roads, uh, house bill 2000 to 2015. And this was about IDs, right? So for people that were undocumented, you couldn't get IDs. And it's kind of the same kind of deal. It's like people that are residents that are residents, you know, are not, are not, (coughs) excuse me, are not able to get identification or driver's license. So uh, you had put that on your website. What kind of work have you done for that?
1: Yeah, so in 2008, uh, it became illegal for folks who felt status to get a driver's license. Um, So that included, you know, family members, friends, other folks in our community. Um, And once we started getting, I think we initiated in 2012 uh, to get driver's cards for folks to at least give them permission to drive, um, but not to be classified as ID or something like that. And then now, I think last year, we ended up passing an initiative that gave access to everybody, you know, so nobody's left out uh, from getting a license, you know, uh, especially with a lot of these folks who had a license before 2008, you know, they're already, they're taking the test, they're insurance drivers, um, you know, why couldn't we be able to pass this sooner? But unfortunately, there was other hateful groups. Um, that put certain initiatives in place uh, to create more barriers for folks. But yeah, now everybody starting January 1st will be able to have a driver's license. We'll have more safe drivers out there. Um, Folks who traditionally don't have a driver's license get uh, pulled over, detained, and especially living out here in the 40 some area, um, there's a lot of Latinx folks who have been racially profiled as well as other folks in the community. Um, So this kind of gives another strength um, for these folks who didn't have a license before that can actually apply to one and feel a little bit more protected.
0: I don't know what happened. You lost your lighting <laughs> in your in your room. It's like way darker. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So one of the things we talked about off air is uh, a Latinx mural that's going in. And I think, you know, we're coming up on the time where we're going to get out of here. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. So there's a mural going to be put in to show appreciation of you know Latinx heritage for Springfield residents is that correct?
1: Yeah, you know to be able to honor the existence of folks who have lived here for years and years, and um, it's a time for folks to be able to feel proud and, and feel uh, like they're like they exist and uh, and be proud of it. You know to be proud of their identity. Um, this kind of came up. Uh, I, we were talking about a little bit before about you know uh, there's this park called Chicano Park where there's paintings on there that kind of tell our history and kind of uh, create a a narrative that's always been ours, uh, but unfortunately due to stereotypes um, and folks always try to take uh, our pen. And this is a way where we could be able to take back our pen and create our own narrative and show our community and our young folks uh, who we are. Because like I said something earlier is if we know where we're from, we know where we're at and we know where we're going, and that's important. So we want to be able to acknowledge, you know, like the farm workers we want to be able to acknowledge our indigenous brothers and sisters. Uh, we want to be able to acknowledge various different things on there and share it with the community. It's a way that we could stir up conversations and, you know, build a bridge together and have events right there. Um, it's a nice little alleyway where we can have a little swap meet or community gatherings or once we're able to gather later on.
0: Right. Well, Johannes Todeo, Springfield City Council, Ward 3. Uh, the website is o r g. It's really cool to hear what you have to say. Uh, I appreciate, you know, you coming and talking to us. And I think you have a really bright future in local government. I mean, one of the benefits of getting someone like yourself on city council would be like you had said, you can bring a Latinx voice to the table so that there's issues that sometimes maybe people just overlook. And it's not because that they're, you know, I'm not trying to say that people on city council are, Are trying to but there's just things that they may not see and so having diversity and having different voices i think is really crucial and i think you've done your due diligence to know that it's you wouldn't be getting elected just to check a box you know you know what i mean because you've you've done a lot of work for people across the board so i have a lot of respect for what you've done and so You know, I, it's really an honor to have interviewed both you and Corey Rodley. I think that it's a really difficult uh, choice to make. And, and I think we are blessed with good candidates. I do think it's really important to get more diversity on the council though, you know? And so just, just because I think that the representation needs to be there and your work for the, you know, uh, the houseless community is incredible. Chris McAllister is an incredible person for, for the work he does. I want to give him a shout out. So Thanks a lot for doing this, man. It's really cool to get to know you. And I don't know what happened to your lighting in your room, but it, it's <laughs> maybe you were using natural natural lighting, but now you're sitting in the dark.
1: Yeah. I think that's what I was doing. Um, but yeah. And, uh, one quick thing is that, uh, Chris McAllister is a matter of fact, he's one of my co, uh, campaign managers. Um, so it's really nice to be able to have, uh, somebody that was, uh, running. Um, uh, I don't know what to say. Cause I don't want to say I was running against them, but we were running for this race. Right. Um, And um, he was also a great candidate and I'm lucky to be able to have him on my corner. Um, So it's going to be a really exciting race and win lose. uh, It's been an experience and I'm ready.
0: And you have a bright, bright, bright future, regardless of how this goes in November. Uh, You know, but yeah, like you said, you, so the way it worked is there were three candidates and uh, top two went to a runoff if, if someone didn't get 51%. And so since you, neither of you did, there was, you know, the runoff in November, and yeah, Chris became your campaign manager. And that says a lot about, about uh, you know, someone that ran against you then kind of steps up and sits on your campaign. You see, see that a lot on, on federal, like on national campaigns. I don't know. I haven't seen, I don't know too much about local politics. I'm learning, you know, day by day. But that's really cool. And you've also received some big endorsements, I noticed, on your website. You had mentioned Sean Van Gordon, you know, a sitting city council member and Steve Moe, correct?
1: Yeah. And Steve Moe, yeah.
0: So, I mean, to have people that are sitting on city council you is a big deal. And there's some, again, anybody listening or watching this needs to go to the website. The link is in the show notes. It's org, And it's really, really well done and thorough. So I encourage anybody to check that out. Johannes, thank you so much. This is really cool. Uh, I'm going to end this with a song. I, I've played the song on this podcast before because I did an episode about DACA years ago with when i started out with my friend ricky uh but i did a song with him uh as well we did a full episode about his experience as a dreamer called dreamer uh and so i thought that that would be fitting to play that because i know that some of the people listening may fit in that category and so i have a ton of appreciation for for them and and It's in limbo right now, and it's a scary thing. We'll see what happens at the Supreme Court. This is why voting matters every election, and I think we learned that lesson in 2016, so you got to vote blue this election regardless, you know, to protect the status of so many people and then so much. We could be here for days. But Johannes Tadeo, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity.
0: You're very welcome. This is me, Self-Esteem Boat Willie, with Dreamer. He was a ten-year-old who only did what he was told He slept in Mexicali, had no idea where his journey would go Left behind all of his familia Try only to incorporate a feeling of Ownership over residence regardless of the president Pushed to ostracize his chances at citizenship Ownership over residence regardless of the president Pushed to ostracize his chances at citizenship Some say that I'm a dreamer
1: my only home Some say that I'm a dreamer But this is my only home Honestamente las Relievers
0: nos desprecian como gente Get called like thieves or aliens, even rapists.
1: But I sit here, no conviction, solamente hago breakfast. Work at a cafe, cocino, desayuno, como cualquier alguno. Like everybody else, we pay taxes. Work most days, a veces, sin a break. Who can relate? ¿Quién entiende? Hey. Some say that I'm a dreamer, but this is my.
0: Freedom of the stars and bars, it's hard to take away the right to live where you are. Only home you've ever known is promised by your whereabouts, and this is why we shout. Once tasted is the freedom of the stars and bars, it's hard to take away the right to live where you are. Only home you've ever known is promised by your whereabouts, and this is why
1: we shout. Sunset, I'm a dreamer. Is my only home. Some say that I'm a dream.